Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to Somebody Date Jen and Kyle, the podcast where two people try to pursue and succumb to love. I am Jen. This is Kyle. We are not qualified, and yet we come back every week. And you know what? So do you. You know what makes us even more less qualified here this week, Jen? I know that it is currently January. Did you just say even more less qualified? More less qualified. (laughs) You'll find out why I stated it that way here in a moment. What makes us that way it's a, I know, I know that it is January 28th on your podcatcher of choice that this episode is going up. And of course, we record this live to tape and this release it afterwards. Obviously. But let's say in some weird alternate universe that we're recording this at the end of December during holiday parties. Jen, I just had some friends over and I am so fucking drunk right now. I am, I am riding high. I don't normally like to do it. I don't like, I normally don't like to record these when I'm blasted, but uh, that's what's going on here. But this is not the first time you have done this, let's well, be honest. Well, to be fair, that, the last time was because I was depressed. This time is because I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rare moment of joy for Kyle riding high. I'm going to make you reveal some secrets. Okay, so remember when we did, uh, when it was New Year's Eve? And you were like, oh, I got Chinese food, yeah. which I was not invited Correct. to. And then you read your fortune, which was so cute. Do you remember what your fortune said? Um, it was something like to be lovable. No, to be loved, you need to be lovable or something like that. Yes. And so how's that going? Well, I have been nothing but lovable the last few weeks. I am like positively like a Pokemon out there as far as how adorable I am. I don't know. I, I feel like I am putting across like a new... Uh, a new face, a, a, a new uh, lust for life, let's say, here in the newest year of 2022. Okay, so remember, like, you had Chinese yeah. food. I in- am inspired by that this Friday night. Did you have Chinese food and not invite me? Is that what you're saying? Yes, of oh. course I did, because you're you're a jerk, and so I'm a jerk. Um, so here's my fortune cookie. I'm reading it Ooh, as me cracking it open. Do you hear it? Good, Good audio. That's the French. Here we go. You find beauty in ordinary things. Do not lose this ability. Oh, oh well, that's clearly not for me. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I, I hate don't. beautiful things. Okay. This fortune cookie is lying to me. Whatever. But you know what I do love? You know what What's I do that? love, Kyle? I do love film. Yeah. You, like you and I are very different. But if there's one thing that unites us together, it is our love for film. And actually, while we talk about relationships, I, I've mentioned this in a previous pod. I worked very hard to try to usurp the other host on Kyle's other podcast, which is Dave and Kyle, Kyle and Dave, Dave. Kyle and Dave versus the machine. The, his greatest episodes are the ones that I'm on it. Just, you know, just putting that out there. And I really tried to usurp Dave, Dave, I know you're listening. Suck it. And I, because Kyle and I love to talk about film. Here we are. We're talking about something different. We love it. Um, We're still not friends, whatever. But we do really love film. And you have the background because you actually worked at a blockbuster, correct? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So you have like the actual. Yeah, you have the actual like bona fides to be like, I actually can talk about film because I worked for a dying business back in the roaring '90s. That had a chance to be salvaged by Netflix. We should mention and chose not to because they were like, what? Yes, I do love. When you try to explain 
what a blockbuster was to a person right. that is now so young they don't know and they're like you had to go to where <laughs> and like if it if they didn't have it you just didn't watch it That's like weird. you try to explain it to like a really small person and they think you are crazy they're like there's a better way to do it you guys <laughs> and we're like yeah but at that time we couldn't figure that out i'm so archaic that my very first job at the blockbuster was rewinding them yeah yes yeah. that was my first job because of course no everyone's an asshole nobody rewinds their shit mm. and it was seen as a common courtesy that you would give someone a vhs tape that be was kind rewind yeah yes of course be kind rewind i have to admit that for a 16 year old person i had that job all the way through high school and i loved every stinking minute of it i <laughs> i think that there are days where i was like this is my life this is gonna i'm gonna be a sales associate i just to give you a sense of how i worked we were in a budding community i'm like really digressing here but it was a great time in my life and of course we all dated each other just to bring it back to the nexus of this podcast but we i worked at a, a location that was built in a community that still had really yet to be mm-hmm. built and so really we were so, i remember we were so busy all you would do is just rent people videos stuff would be coming back we'd be throwing videos around it was like a hop in place it was like a place you wanted to be i remember blowing the fire code because there's so many people in it my employee number was four. <laughs> I loved it. But that really was the perfect place for me to really explore all the different genres. But of course, no surprises there. I was a sucker for a good rom-com, which is what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today. And Kyle, where did your love of film come from? There's a few different ways I can answer that. I think that I was just predisposed to it. My The very first movie I ever went to watch in a theater in my little tiny community of Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, Canada, which sounds like a made-up place, I know, but it was a real town. We had this single theater. It actually burned down when I was in grade six, so I went through very many years where I couldn't go and see movies in the theater, but that's a digression unto itself. The first movie I ever saw in a movie theater was the re-release in 1987 to date myself, of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And from that point mm. on, I was like, this is my thing. I was so mesmerized by that movie, <laughs> sitting in a theater, like witches and like dwarves and like magical spells and things like this is a thing that I love. And so I craved going to the movie theater all the time. Now, that was mostly uh, Disney stuff when I was a kid. And then... As I, I like, I started to branch out. Our family would go to the local blockbuster and rent movies basically every weekend, I would say, if not like every other weekend. Like, we were a movie watching family, we just liked watching movies together. Then, in I forget what year it was, it was like 97, 98, by complete happenstance, this was we were still on what we used to lovingly call peasant vision. I grew up watching having only three mm-hmm. channels. Okay, I can. Yeah, I can relate. And one of those was French CBC. So really, I only had two channels that I watched, (laughs) uh, that I could watch. But so by complete happenstance, I watched this special that was made for CBS, but was broadcast, I guess, on CTV, called the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Movies. And that was this countdown of like, yeah, it was so wonderful for me because it was like critics and people in the industry counting down what they believe were the 100 best American movies. Now we can have another Mm -hmm. digression of whether or not any of those movies deserve to be on this list. But regardless, as a, (laughs) well, I would have been like a 16 year old kid, 15, 16 year old kid, super impressionable. I was like 
what are these movies? These look so cool. These like clips that they're showing and like how they're talking about them. Like, oh my gosh, like I want to know all about these. Oh, it was a total, total FOMO masterclass. Yeah. Because you're like, how can I be a film person and not have seen yeah. these films? Of course, they've picked like, the best scenes and stuff to show, too. I'm like, this looks amazing. Kind of my first introduction to like black and white and all this other stuff. So then, yeah. boy, this is so going to date me again, Jen. I, uh, <laughs> the Columbia House Service. <laughs> do you remember Col- Oh, my do you remember God. Columbia I totally House? forgot about them. Now, yes, I do. I know exactly what yeah, you're They're talk mostly about. remembered for like sending out these flyers so that you could like pay them money and get a free CD sent to you in the mail every month. But they so happened to yes. start this yeah. VHS service and they tied it into that special I had just seen and be like, we'll send you every month one of the movies from this 100 top list. And I was like, yes, yes, please. And my mother was like, yeah, I guess there's worse things you could be interested in. So let's do this like $10 a month thing. And you get this free VHS in the mail. Free in quotes. <laughs> VHS in the mail. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. And that's really how I started getting into uh, kind of like that classic film. Like this is the first time that I watched Psycho and On the Waterfront and Singing in the Rain and uh, Schindler's List and all these like really Citizen Kane, like all these big movies and stuff like that. And that's really where I fell in love with it. And then when I moved to got into university and could go out on my own, that's when I started just watching what I actually wanted to watch for the very first time. And it kind of just snowballed from there to getting into like my favorite directors and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's kind of where it started. Yes, and then you become a full-on yeah. cinephile. I have to mention, as we talk about movies that destroy relationships, mm-hmm. I have to tell you that the person I used to see films with um, most often were my was my father. Sure. He used to take me every Saturday to the movies, and we would see you know a combination of movies. Then as I got older, like my dad is the, a, a quintessential workaholic. <laughs> Like he was like, uh, this is my job first. And I'm also burdened with having to be your parent, which is something I've come to accept and love and find, you know, quite charming in my adult life. I don't hold it against him because now I'm a workaholic and I'm like, I get how that happens. But he and I used to see a movie every day between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, wow. So six days of film. And we always made sure to see the Oscar contenders. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'll wrap around back to that, but we had some pretty interesting adventures, but something that we never saw were Disney films. Mm. And the reason why I was not permitted to see a Disney film is because Disney princesses didn't have jobs. <laughs> and my father was terrified that I would then be like, oh, this is the role for women of yeah. a woman. She has to. Yeah. Her quest is to find a man that makes her feel complete. Then she the goal is happily ever after. And I remember even when my father would read Cinderella to me, which I would force him to do because someone, you know, would buy the book with good mm-hmm. intentions. And he's like, and, she, you know, she went on to become a, an accountant and everyone in the kingdom was financially compliant. <laughs> Right. It wasn't until I got older and learned to read that I was like, this is not how this ends. But I've asked my father about it. And he he was like, honestly, what did me in was the Little Mermaid. Mm. She just gives up her whole voice. Like, what is that a symbol of? Like that to me was the moment where I was like, well, we can't come back from this. That's just going to be out there. if She's exposed to that, that she's like, I will give up the thing that is the most important and the thing that really is my whole entire identity, I would just give that away for a man. Right. And he's like, hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass on that. Trying to raise a kid in the 90s. Thank you very much. I will uh, leave this to off mic because it will be too much of a digression about the, I think, fascinating queer reading you can give to The Little Mermaid. But we'll save that till after the podcast is over. We should do a whole podcast mm-hmm. on movies that we think are gay. Yeah. Like they're actually, yeah, we should do that as, a, queer, as an yeah. episode. Yeah. Yes. Okay, write that down. Somebody write that down. 
Not you. You're yeah. drunk. I'll write it down. <laughs> I can um, barely sit in this chair. So let me ask yes. you this. How much do you think your expectations of relationships have stemmed from what you've seen in movies and television? I'm not just saying this for the podcast, but I can honestly say almost 100%. Yeah, me o- too. Honestly, like I think... <laughs> me too. That- and, and just even taking Disney out of the equation, even other films that I've watched, I definitely had a very, yeah, I'll just say it, screwed up version of what I thought love was, what relationships were, and like even how you fell in love in the first place. We both grew up in the 90s, and there was that heyday in the late 90s of like teenage sex comedies. And I feel like that yep. more than anything, like really screwed me up. Like, oh, if I don't have sex before I leave high school, then I am a damaged person and I I, I don't deserve love. Like that's basically what I thought as I was leaving university, as yep. I was leaving high school. Yeah, there's there's a striking amount of those those raunchy teen mm-hmm. rom-com films. Um, I'm thinking about like 10 Things I yeah. Hate About You, American Pie, Can't Hardly Wait, all those films of the 90s where you were like, oh, if I'm, there's a certain brand of cool mm-hmm. and, and you I know, a license it. to be in <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm none of that thing. I'm none of those things. And then the license to adulthood was this this sexual awakening that was so unrealistically right. portrayed. You know, even the veneer of awkwardness, even the veneer of whatever. And but you know, I think every generation have has that right. Like the generation before us would have had Fast Times at Ridgemont High and those Animal House Porkies. Yeah, I keep going back in time. I mean, we we've I think we talked about it on this show before, but there's that film love story from the 70s whose entire tagline was falling in love means never having to say your story i'm like mm, nope <laughs> like <laughs> uh, like what the hell okay that? anyway so kyle and i love the academy awards we're the only two people left that watch Correct. them <laughs> and <laughs> And we really do love them. So we decided to create some categories um, of, uh, because I think we're in fundamental agreement, not to skip ahead here, but I think we're in fundamental agreement that, you know, because so many people create their concept of relationship reality through film and television, there are undoubtedly then films that destroy relationships. And we've all been there. Can we just be honest for a minute that we've all been there where we've been in a theater watching a movie with a significant other and we look at this perfect character or this perfect storyline and then we look back to the person we're sitting with and we're like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) right in the spirit of our of our love for for the academy awards the motion picture arts and sciences uh we've declared some some nominees and some categories associated with movies and films that destroy relationships so here the envelope please here's the first category Nominees in the category of films where the characters do psycho shit, but are forgiven for the sake of the plot. And the nominees are, Kyle, what's first on your list? So I first went with this. I believe it's from, I I didn't double check this before writing this down. I think it's from like 2003. It is a movie called Down With Love. Hey, baby. I just uh, popped by for a little sex on a cart. Catch your block. Gets anything he wants. Do you work for me? Barbara Novak. Here's to Bannerhouse's new number one author. Has everything she needs. And it's all in my book. Down with love, not sex. Have you seen this movie? Oh my God. Yes, I have with you and McGregor. And Renee Zellweger. Um, I do have to point out, I actually love this movie. I think it's great, but I'm going to spoil Down With Love. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sorry. 
But basically, you have... But if you haven't seen it, it came out in 2003. So you own what you own here. This is almost 20 years old now at this point. Renee Zellweger stars as this, uh, like, supreme ultra-feminist, basically, in this movie, who's written this book about how you don't need a man. Uh, Ewan McGregor stars as this, like, ultra-playboy guy who just sleeps around, is, like, the ultimate, like, person people want to sleep with. And, of course, as you might suspect, they fall in love. But what what puts it into this category specifically is at the end, you find out Renee Zellweger basically orchestrated the entire thing. She fell in love with him years before, created this persona of this new person. She changed her name so that he would become obsessed with her, so that she could like rebuff him, so that then he would fall in love with her. And it is so psychotic. The fact is like, if you reveal that to me, there is no way that i as a real person would be like sure let's now be in a relationship charming. with each other how charming um, but it's also super funny and i do recommend watching it but still th- she is a psychopath in this movie my nominee is the sandra bullock film while you were sleeping <laughs> i'm not working this weekend jerry Lucy. every day i go and i sit in a booth like a veal i i work every holiday i go home to a cat for Lucy, loneliness was a way of life. Joe Jr. still single. Yeah, it's shocker. But the moment she saw Peter, she became a believer in love at first sight. He was perfect. Then fate stepped in. Mister, there's a train coming. Oh, God, you smell good. Now she's part of his life. Which is kind of a holiday classic if you've watched it in the past month. So I think it is, to be fair, Sandra Bullock's best film. Mm. I really do. I think of all the films she's done lately, you know, you can be a fan of Bird Box or whatever you want. But I think while you were sleeping, really, she gets to the heart of charm. She's so charming. And she has to be charming because the plot is that she is a train operator and she's obsessing over this rich man played by Peter Gallagher back in his eyebrow heydays. (laughs) Right. And he falls on the train platform and she rescues him. And he has amnesia. And so she tells his entire family that they're in a relationship and they're getting married. Totally normal. And the whole family's like, oh, well, we've been pretty estranged from him. But, you know, we're going to embrace you. And they bring her in to this family all the while. She's like a she's a lot. She's lying. So then she falls in love with the brother. Spoiler. And then it all, of course, all comes out. And the family like. Then they all, they end happily ever after. She yeah, ends yeah. up with the brother. And you're like, this is crazy. If this was real life, how awkward would every single goddamn <laughs> holiday party be? Like, hey, remember that time that you came to this house while our son was in a coma and you pretended to be in a relationship with him? Yeah, that's, yeah. we're still, we're good with yeah. that. We're Pass cool with gravy. that. We think you're totally, <laughs> yeah, past the great, exactly. And you're, you're supposed to buy it because... Because Sandra Bullock is so charming and you just want her to be with someone. And she's like, oh, my dad died and I'm an orphan. And it's like, um, clearly you have deeply rooted psychological problems that your moral compass, the first thing to say, and you have plenty of opportunity to say is I'm that I, I'm lying to you. Um, this is not true. And I don't know this man. But what is the icing on the cake is that when this coma guy, the coma brother comes to, he's like healing from a head trauma. And she's like, no, no, we're married. Which <laughs> yeah. is the meanest thing to put someone through that they come out from a coma and they're like, oh my God, I've lost 
erase my memory and she's like yep sure did yep you have and they just let this propagate for forever and then what does he do around the dining room table so it's a great film on its face to enjoy and and like i said sandra bullock is great but that is a character doing some real psycho shit and if you look at that and go now that's a love story you just have to just think about the fallout of all that mistruth. Like, welcome to a, like at the last scene, like the train's pulling away and they're on the back and they're kissing. Flash forward five days to them laying in bed and he's like, wait a minute, you're a liar. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> here's, here's the thing about that. I think you're right that like a charming leading actor can make you forgive so many different things in a movie. Like I, I read those articles every so often that come out like, actually this, this film is super problematic because of these reasons. And it's like, sure. But I also think you have to take in like the tone of the movie. Like this is not an ultra realistic portrait of America or a relationship necessarily. It's like one of my favorite films of all time, of course, is uh, the Tom Hanks film Big. But yes, if you break that down, like what a deeply traumatic thing that happens to that character. Yes. But it's a it's a light comedy, so you don't have to focus on that stuff. <laughs> and it's Tom Hanks. It's America's dad. All right, what is what else is on your list in the category of films where the characters do psycho shit but are forgiven for the sake of the plot? So I decided to choose a very recent film, came out just last year in 2021 on Netflix. Have you seen the movie love hard no dating has never really been easy but modern online dating you're married is even harder but on a positive note wow i met someone oh my god he is so cute really there's only one con what you've never seen him i'm gonna fly to new york for the holidays i'm gonna surprise josh and i'm gonna get my happy ending josh someone's here to see you as of this moment right now, my disaster dating days are over. Natalie? Uh, are you Stars Nina Dobrev, I think is how you say her name, and Jimmy O. Yang, who I am actually a pretty big fan of. I like his stand-up. So let me tell you what the plot is of this. She is a writer for basically BuzzFeed, but they can't say it's BuzzFeed. So she's <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she writes a column about being single in her 30s. Nothing that we can relate to. Oh yeah, no. And then she goes on to Tinder, but they can't call it Tinder. Matches with this really charming, hot guy. They start talking on the phone. And it's like, oh, you should totally come here for Christmas. I would love it if you came here and spent the holiday with me. It's like, oh, yeah, that'd be really fun. But, you know, work and everything. And then at the last minute, she says, no, mm -hmm. I am going to go surprise him and see my, like, my love of my life. And that is when she discovers oh, that she has been catfished. She is not the same guy that's in the photos. It's this really awkward, weird guy. And she ends up dating him <laughs> uh, after this whole thing. It is a wild movie to watch because it's like there is no way in any reality that if you went from New York from no. So from L.A. to New York and discovered like, oh, you've been lying to me this whole time. See ya, checking into the hotel and flying back the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet they date. And let me guess, they end up together in the end of the yeah. film. Oh, for God's sake. Okay. Along the same vein of that is the early 1990s picture, Picture Perfect, mm -hmm. starring Jennifer Aniston and Jay Moore. All you single women, come on out here and try to catch the bouquet. Meet Kate Mosley. A woman who gets a lot of attention, 
just give me the damn thing. <laughs> just not the kind she's looking for. Kelly! I'd like a grandchild. All right, Ma. Well, you'll be happy to know I'm looking into getting some eggs frozen. Wonderful. I can tell everyone I'm having a grandsicle. Back when we all thought Jay Moore was going to be a Correct, thing. Correct, yeah. Right. Remember when we remember in the 90s, we were like, Jay Moore is going to be that guy on 18 months where we thought Jay Moore was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> yes. I think we almost did that with Owen Wilson, too. He, he was almost a leading man for, for a long time. And then he got tucked underneath what I call the curse of Kate Hudson, <laughs> where anybody who does a film with Kate Hudson, then just their career is over. So basically, the, the plot of this is Jennifer Aniston wants a promotion at work, but she doesn't get the promotion because her boss doesn't feel like she's got enough invested. She's not invested. She's young and frivolous and whatever, which, of course, now would be grounds for discrimination Correct. and a lawsuit. But her friend says, like, you need to have like a, a husband and kids and a mortgage. Remember, there's this great scene in the bathroom where she says, the reason why I'm so desirable to this company is because I have the house that I can't afford. I drive a car that I can't afford. And I have credit cards that I can't pay off. I am incredibly valuable to this organization because I need them as much as they Mm -hmm. need me. You are not tied to this agency and therefore you will never be advanced in this agency, which is, of course, a very impactful argument to make about young people in the workforce. So she she's at her friend's wedding and she bumps into the videographer and she has this Polaroid of the two of them because he caught the garter and she caught the bouquet. And so she says to her boss, this is my, this is my fiance. We're getting married. And he's like, oh my God, we got to meet this guy. And she's like, yeah, okay. And her plan is to just pretend that he's always busy. And then he gets famous because he rescues some cat or something from a fire and he's all over the news. And so she has to go to him and say, I've concocted this lie about us. And now you need to come to where I live and I will financially compensate you to pretend that you're in a relationship with me. And for some ridiculous reason associated with the plot, Jay Moore's character is like, sure, that seems great. When you know that 99.7% of people would be like, get away from me. I'm getting a restraining order. Of course, they fall in love. She has to tell the truth. He doesn't, you know, it, you know, there's this meet cute at a wedding because, of course, he's a wedding photographer and they end up together in the end. And all you're thinking is that years later, when you're when your kids would be like, how'd you meet? You'd be like, oh, I lied to my boss to get a promotion. And then I had to pay your dad to be in a relationship with me. Last I checked. Paying a person to be in a relationship with you is called being a hooker. You know, one of those classic stories, children. I just think it's kind of crazy. Like, they just have to skip over all of these unforgivable things. Oh, and in the meantime, Jennifer Aniston's character is totally dating another person. <laughs> yeah, just like, it's be... just it's yeah, just yeah. psycho. Um, and yet we just are like, oh, this is what real love is. Yeah. Right. If I could just meet a man like Jay Moore, who clearly has no backbone and no free will and no ability to just say, like, uh, I think I deserve more than this. It reminds me of that TikTok with the girl with the tacos. Mm-hmm. Because right. she's just like, I am in this now and I can, the hoops I am jumping through to make this alternate reality make sense in my mind is, mm-hmm. is chaos. Well, our next category here, Jen, is films where you know this relationship is never going to work. So who is your first nominee for films where you know this relationship is never going to work? Well, I have to tell you that my first nominee is the film Jerry Maguire. Everybody see you for what you are. The best kept secret in the NFL. You are the man. You ready? Yep. Let's go. My name is Jerry Maguire. I'm a sports agent. 
You could say I'm at the top of my game, but something just isn't right. Jerry Maguire! What can I do for you, Rod? Show me the money. Can you sign my card? Sorry, little fella. I can't sign this brand of card. Only Pro Jam Blue Dot cards. And lately, it's getting worse. You had me a hello, though, Jim. Yeah, yeah, pretty iconic line. Although, that's a pretty unforgivable, like, you don't love me, you're emotionally unavailable, but because he shows up and has one grand gesture, she's like, all your flaws are forgiven. And women everywhere are like, I can do that. <laughs> and civilization took it took an interesting turn. Anthropologists, I think, in the future will study what they'll call the Maguire effect, which is where all these toxic relationships continue to evolve through society. I Just to come back to what I said earlier about seeing films with my dad, I have to tell you that I was way too young when I saw this film. I think I was like 12. Oh boy. I think so. But it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. And I remember going to the theater, sitting with my dad. And of course, our introduction to Kelly Preston, who plays for a short period of time, right. Tom Cruise's <laughs> fiance, is, is so it's a cutaway. It's Renee Zellweger saying, you know, whoever gets to be with that man is probably one classy broad. And then it flashes right to Tom Cruise just railing Kelly yes. Preston against a bookshelf. True, true. Yeah, yeah. And she screams, don't ever stop fucking me. And I remember my dad turning to face me and said, if you ever tell your mother, I took you to this film, I will kill you. <laughs> and I was just like, I won't. I won't. So, like in the um, span of but- five <laughs> seconds, two of the most traumatic things in your life have happened. <laughs> Like, I mean, when you want to see Oscar films and you're mm-hmm. quite young, you're going to see some stuff. I remember that that was a, like quite a significant year for film. Shakespeare and Love came yeah. out that year. And so like there was lots of adult content in those films. And I think I had to kind of like pull it together and be like, this is cinema, right? Like this is the difference between cinema. And- <laughs> That's the difference between movies and cinema. Cinema, you get railed against a bookshelf. <laughs> That's right. When it's gross, we call it cinema. Yeah. I saw it quite young and I liked it then for different reasons than I like it now. Like I really do. I have to admit, I really do love this film. And I think that that's the connection point of all of these films is that they're ridiculous, but we love them anyway, right? Because we're, we're along for the fantasy. But the fantasy, I think, from relationships can sometimes be the problem. The challenge you have here is that he's emotionally unavailable. This guy is, should be alone, right? The whole idea in the film is that everyone keeps telling him, like, you don't possess the ability to be alone. And we've been in relationships with men and women who are not should be alone and choose not to and it's crazy to me like in this film he i don't even think he really loves her i think he's just afraid to be alone and so he shows up and he has this big grand gesture and you're just like this is gonna be a tough relationship even how they get together when she's like packs up the moving truck and she's like okay well bye we'll see you soon and he's like okay bye let's get married and she's like okay and you're like oh what are these two doing What are these two doing? It is a license to dysfunction. And if you love this film and you love the characters in this film, you're like excusing a whole lot of shit. You just know at the end of this film when the credits roll that if you had to think around like a Jerry Maguire 2, Renee Zellweger's not in it. Well, I was about to say like they they do like they're doing with Top Gun, (laughs) you know, three years after (laughs) Jerry Maguire, we get Jerry Maguire 2. Also called Maverick. Also called Maverick. Just yes. a, just a Jeremy mess. Too. Maverick. Cuba Gooding Jr. is definitely coming back. Renell Zerberger is not going to be in that movie. <laughs> and Cuba Gooding Jr. will probably still be playing yeah. football. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
He's 200 years old playing football. What's on your list? Well, I just realized that uh, my first one is maybe a bit of a cheat as far as this oh. goes, because I actually now think that they don't actually end up together by the end of the film. But um, one of my absolute favorite films, actually, I will go on record as being my favorite movie of the year 2007, is a little Irish film called Once. Da, da. She's gone. She's dead? No, she's not dead. He's gone. My father used to play in the orchestra back at home. You don't want to go for a walk or something, huh? Yeah. Okay. Which stars oh, Glenn yeah. Hansard, Martina Glova, who actually did start a band after this, did not know each other before they made this movie. We're not really even actors before they were in this movie. And has this, I think, beautiful love story of these two musicians meeting, creating a record, and then discovering that, hey, she actually has a husband in the Czech uh, Republic who is coming and moving to London. And uh, he has an ex-girlfriend who he may or may not be getting back together with. But they have such a beautiful love together and romance together. They should be together, mm. but it's like, I think by the end of it, you realize there's just too much baggage in the back. Like as much as this is this grand love story, you kind of discover it's like, it might be true, but there's also these weird realities in your life. It's inherently It's inherently broken. broken, inherently not going to work because who cares if you have this picture perfect relationship now, you actually have all these other responsibilities outside of this film. So it's one of the few that I think is like, it's a very realistic depiction of sometimes a complicated, yeah, we should be together, but we actually can't be mm -hmm. together. Yeah, that's a great pick. That's a great pick. My next film is 1994's It Could Happen to You. Well, the lotto jackpot has grown to over $64 million. It all started with a lottery ticket. You got the numbers wrong! Wrong? An honest cop. And a waitress. Probably you've had good luck your entire life, which is the opposite of me. In the middle of a very bad day. You just don't have enough for a tip. I'll live. Lottery ticket? If this ticket wins, I'll come back tomorrow and split the proceeds. And if it doesn't, I'll still come back and leave you a tip. What do you think? I think I'm never going to see you again. What happened? Which stars Nicolas Cage before Nicolas Cage became a meme of right, himself. Right. And a rare, great showing from, I think, the underrated Fonda, Bridget right, Fonda. Right, yeah. And basically, he plays a near... Oh, and, a, and an extraordinary performance from Rosie Perez. Mm -hmm. So he plays a New York cop and Bridget Fonda plays a waitress and he can't afford to tip her. So he says, I will split this lottery ticket with you. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye. I knew I knew this and movie. Then I was he trying wins. to place it. Like, I know this movie. I know this movie. Oh, right. That's this movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then he wins and he does the good guy thing that no one would do and goes back and is like, listen, I can, I can tip you or we can split this lottery ticket. And she's like, you know what? I'll take caution to the wind and I'll pick the lottery ticket. And he's like, okay, you won. You won. And so, of course, it becomes big news. Nicolas Cage has a wife. Mm. Nicolas Cage is in a marriage with Rosie Perez, who, of course, goes crazy and does her, you know, Rosie Perez at 5,000 degrees in a film, which is perfectly pitched here. You know, she spends all the money and... She there's this great scene where she gets new boobs and it's just hilarious. And Nicolas Cage falls in love with the waitress. And of course, that also becomes big news. And you they get, you know, they get together in the end. They lose all the money because she sues for it. And they decide, you know, we're just going to be together. No one who survives 
uh, front page adultery and then losing all your money turns to that person and is like, love will keep us alive. Like you just know at the end of the film that they're like, ah, let's just wrap this up. And we know that they don't stay together. Mm -hmm. That being said, one of my favorite films. (laughs) One of my favorite films. I think it's a lost gem. I yeah. put it in the same category as The Truman Show. It's a lost gem. But that is, I think, the quintessential definition of a film that you just are like, this couple is, it's an incredible love story, but we're not buying it by the time the credits are rolling. There's no way you stay together. It's not going to work. There are movies like that, though. It's just dear to my heart. But like, even at the end, you're internally going this is completely ludicrous but i bought it the entire way like these people are totally committed to the oh, roles yeah yeah totally 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 okay what, what about you to round out this this category i know you haven't seen this movie uh jen because you don't watch disney films but i thought we should have some showing of disney here on our lists <laughs> this week again another film i deeply actually love this film for a great many reasons a lot of it the making of that i can talk people's ear off on but uh It's Beauty and the Beast, the original animated 1991 movie, Beauty and the Beast. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture. Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Girl! A girl! The classic story of Beauty and the Beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. And she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free. She's the one. She has come to break the spell. They were two. It's probably my second favorite Disney score of all time. But let's be real. This is a being that was verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive. <laughs> Gets turned into like certainly, yep. yes, a hot prince guy. But that doesn't just dissipate overnight either. So I give them maybe a few months before Belle is like, uh... No, thank you. And like pieces out. It's Stockholm syndrome. It's Stockholm syndrome, right? Where you fall in love with your captor. It is a film that encourages little people to be like, if a boy or a man is mean to you and does all these abuses, locks you up. Don't don't count it out. There's love there. Does he have books? He has a beautiful library, Jan. <laughs> yeah, but does he have books? Yeah. Oh um, I do like, by the way, as a complete aside, the uh, I don't know exploitation director John Waters uh, always had a quip about like if you go home <laughs> with someone and they don't have books in their house, don't fuck them. <laughs> Which I, I agree. I know that is actually great mm. advice. That is great <laughs> advice. Or when you ask them like, what's a ask them on a first date? What's a great book that you read? And if they're like, um, does a magazine count? You're like, bye. <laughs> Does Twitter count? Bye. That's I love that John Waters quote totally. Our last category is nominees in the category of oh my god, this man or woman is so perfect, he's gonna create an impossible standard forever. Mm. My first film in this category is the is the film Sabrina. The original? But I'm talking about the no, the 90s remake with Harrison oh, okay. Ford. Once upon a time, in a mansion on Long Island, in a world of money, all work and no play made Linus Larrabee a billionaire. I just don't feel like buying any more networks this year. There's never anything good on. All play and no work made his brother David a different kind of billionaire. So you guys work Sundays now, huh? It's Wednesday, David. 
I never really understood the the magic of Harrison Ford mm. until I watched Sabrina. First of all, Julia Armand, oh my god. <laughs> Pitch perfect in this in this role. Um, and Greg and up and comer Greg Kinnear. And I even love the name of the character. Harrison Ford plays the the titular character of Linus. And they come from a wealthy family, and she's the chauffeur's daughter. And then she goes away to Paris and gets a makeover and she comes back and she falls in love with a younger brother played by Greg Kinnear. And in an attempt to kind of like like deal with her, Harrison Ford steps in and is like, I'm the big brother and you need to go away. But then he falls in love with her. Right. And he plays this combination of power and vulnerability that I can tell you honestly does not exist in any man. Trust me, I've done the recon. And yet you're always looking for it in every relationship I'm in. I'm like, where's the strong man with who's fully fully checked has the highest form of self-efficacy you know has money but also has this vulnerable Mm -hmm. core yikes i i have to say by the way you said titular character which is incorrect because sabrina would be the titular character i also want to point out the fact (laughs) oh no to me that film is called linus linus Sabrina just happened. They're just paying homage to the original. Right. But that film should just be called Linus. And that is the only way I acknowledge it in, acknowledge it in my I head. have to call out the fact that the 90s were this great run for Harrison Ford in so many ways. I could basically watch any movie Harrison Ford is in in the 90s because he kind of went between like these thrillers, romantic films romantic thrillers it does it start harrison ford did it come out in the 90s then yes i will watch this movie it's funny that you say that because while i love harrison ford i, I do this with if you follow kyle's mm-hmm. other podcast i do this with sylvester stallone i've only ever seen the only sylvester stallone films i've ever seen are rocky i only acknowledge him in the character of rocky and that is all <laughs> and i think i have done the same thing with harrison ford in sabrina indiana jones mm-hmm. Haven't seen oh them. God. Haven't seen one. I know. Um, like, what else is what he was in Jurassic Park, no. correct? No, he was in, uh, well, he's in like five seconds of E.T., but, um, but, but he's right. But, right. That's the but one. That, like, he was in like The Fugitive and What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen uh, it. Patriot Games, like all those types of movies. So Haven't great. seen it. Yeah, anything with Tom Clancy, mm-hmm. haven't seen it. I only acknowledge this is how much he is a perfect being in this film. I have not, I don't think I've seen another Harrison out, Ford man. film. You're missing out. From the 90s. <laughs> what about you? What do you have? Well, um, I decided to go with a movie that I can say conclusively that I have seen the most times out of any movie ever. And <laughs> I wish that the app Letterboxd existed when I was three. So that I could have actually logged <laughs> every single time I've seen this film. Because I am pretty sure it's, if not in the hundreds, pretty dang close. Oh my God, Kyle, what is it? I, I literally watched this probably every day for two years. Like, I'm not even joking. Like I, What? Which is The Princess Bride. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together today. What? 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 I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Wouldn't that be nice? A courtly age. Of gentle conversation. I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. And I should have known Uh. way back then. I was like, oh, obviously you're bisexual because you're in love with both Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright. (laughs) 
Because that's exactly why I was watching this movie over and over and over again. I just think they're neat, Mom. That's basically what I was saying. <laughs> but, like, if you're going to hold people up to an impossible standard, you have, like, the beautiful Princess Buttercup that Robin Wright is, who, like, can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. But then you have uh, Carrie Always in this film, who is himself beautiful, but he dies for her, Jen. He literally dies yep. and then comes back to life for her. How could you not? You will, you'll never be able to live up to that type of expectation of someone that you uh, love with every fiber in your being is like, well, would you die for me? Like Carrie always did in The Princess Bride? Yes. Yes. Indication number one. You know what? Indication number seven that Kyle will one day be in a Dateline episode is his ability to be on a date and say to a man or a woman, would you die for me? <laughs> By the way, if Carrie always is available right now, I would not say no to that date. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Would you like to hear something interesting about The Princess Bride? What's that? I've never seen it. Oh, my God, Jen, you're killing me over here. <laughs> I know. I know. I do this thing where if it's so iconic and if it's so like if you constantly are hearing like you will love this film this is the best film i i it's like i don't know how to interact with it i'm so terrified of the disappointment mm -hmm. that i don't interact with it when when titanic came out with leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet and of course everybody went to see it in the theater like what were we doing with our lives that we all had the ability to go see that film eight or nine or eleven times in the theater i can tell you that i waited like two years to see this film and then finally on one afternoon I was like I gotta bite the bullet and watch this movie because I think I'm the only person <laughs> that hasn't seen, seen it, it now. and then I watched it and I was like mm. and that's I think what's kept me away from things like Princess Bride plus that movie is so quoted I feel like oh, I've yeah. seen it without having basically, to see it basically there's certain movies out there that's like you've heard every quote You've seen every meme. Mm -hmm. You've basically seen the movie without having seen the movie. A movie that, again, so many of us have mm -hmm. seen, and I did see, is 2004's The Notebook. And I don't think anybody is surprised that I'm getting through this, that we're going through this list, and The Notebook doesn't appear right. somewhere. It was a magical summer. Noah was a country boy. Allie was from the city. They met the night of the carnival. They had nothing in common. But after seeing Allie that night, something inside Noah snapped. Will you go out with me? No! No? Ah! Damn, my hand's slipping. Okay, fine. I'll go out with you. No, don't do me any favors. No, I want to. Say it again. I want to go out with you! All right, all right. We'll go out. And it's funny because, you know, I was talking to, to Jesus just to pull up an old adage from old time. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him about the, the theme of this week's episode. And he said to me, oh my God, the notebook. Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, have you seen it? He's like, every man who wanted to have sex with a woman had to see the notebook at, yeah, some, yeah. at some point. And that was our motivation to see it. And I was like, oh, that's graphic, but okay, thanks for sharing. So the notebook, in case you're under a rock, of course, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, you know, doing their best to provide shame to every relationship that it's not magical enough. You know, a lot of young love there. And uh, but again, coming back to category one, a lot of like convenient forgiveness. Like, let's not forget she's in a relationship. She's committed to marry another man. She's wearing that ring mm -hmm. while she's having sex with this, you know, her, this young, her first love. And of course, he, she sits with him in a hotel and he's like, I understand. And I was like, this is the 50s. You're going to be shanked. What are you doing? He's not worth like, it. It's just like a lot of yeah. forgiving things. And if you really look at like the, aside from like the, the enigmatic nature of, you know, being, you know, this, you know, a couple from two different socioeconomic 
classes trying to be together and the the house that they're meant to live in, they also really fundamentally don't get along, (laughs) right? They really don't get along. But of course, you have these flash forwards from... James Garner. Yeah, James Garner, um, you know, reading to her. And you just know that we've seen enough relationships and seen enough that you know that by the end of a relationship, he'd be like, whatever. We didn't get along. I'm going to leave her there. <laughs> like, I check into the home and I read her the story every day. But it gives you the idea that there is this incredible, inconvenient, beautiful, can't eat, can't sleep, hit it out of the ballpark romance that's available right. out there for you. And then, you know, back to my earlier point, you're sitting in the theater looking at a guy who's, you know, really close to going to pick his nose and eat it. And you're <laughs> like, yep, this is how far we've fallen from the aspirational nature of this film. So for that reason, I put notebook in this category. Sure. Um, can I can I can I admit something super awful? I feel like such a bad Canadian. You pick your nose and Correct. eat it. Yeah, I love it. My favorite thing. <laughs> no, I feel like such a bad Canadian, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. And if he is, why are you listening to this podcast? But I never, I never really <laughs> got Ryan Gosling. I don't know. I just have never. I've never like. <gasps> Oh my God! Women know, everywhere are I like. I know. I just have what never a psycho connected with him at all. Are you I, like, I've gotten, insane? I've every other like male figure that gets like super love, and with Ryan Gosling, I'm like, Mm-mm. I don't know if I've ever loved any one of his performances ever. Funny, charming, sexy. You didn't love him in La La Land. He was fine in La La Land. I would have preferred someone else be oh the my lead actor. God. I loved Emma Stone in La La Land. Oh <laughs> my god. Oh my god. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're crazy. Well, that's crazy. Um, speaking of crazy, yes. what's what what rounds out this crazy perfect category? So we are going to go back to 2004. This is the second of a trilogy. My Maybe I would even go so far as seeing my favorite trilogy of all time, Before Sunset. Nine years ago, two strangers met by chance and spent a night in Vienna that ended before sunrise. They are about to meet for the first time since. Hi. Hello. I can't believe you're here. Well, I live here in Paris. I wanted to talk to you for so long, you know, then now... Me too. How long do we have? 20 minutes and 30 seconds? Let's go. go. (laughs) We got more than that. Now they have if people are unaware of this, Mm -hmm. this is the series of films directed by Richard Linkletter that stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy that started with, uh, oh gosh, 90, I'm going to say 7 or 96, somewhere in there, with Before Sunrise. This came out uh, in 2004 before sunset and then 2011 or 2012, there was something called Before Midnight. And it's so these characters, uh, same set of characters over time. If we're talking about having like these perfect meet cutes and perfect relationships, (laughs) like this is the epitome of that. I also think that in this trilogy of films, it really depends on what your age is, which one you actually prefer. I didn't actually come to these films until I was in my late 20s is the first time I watched all three. Um, I might have even been in my early 30s now that I think of it. But regardless, Before Sunset is my favorite of the trilogy. It's in the, it's in the middle. It's after they had this entire movie where, you know, it was pre-internet, pre-smartphones, where they meet on a train in Paris, have this beautiful, like, date that lasts the entire night, and then they have no way to contact each other afterwards. <laughs> and that's how that movie yeah. ends. This is basically them reconnecting nine years later. And kind of picking up where they left off 
they walk around. I want to say it's London. It might be Paris again, actually, now that I think of it. They, they walk around again and constantly the kind of the overarching thing over through the entire movie is that he has to catch a train in an hour. And so he yes, only has a yeah. s- short amount of time and they're walking and talking, catching up and falling in love uh, together again. And it has maybe, if not the best, one of the best endings of a movie where they're back at her apartment. He sits down on the couch. She's telling him this story by I think Nina Simone, if I remember correctly. And she says like, baby, you're going to miss that train. And he says, I know. And then it's cut to black. And that's how that movie ends. And it's so yeah. perfect. And it's just like, yes, that's exactly what these characters need at this moment. And for that brief, shiny moment, you're like, true love exists in this world. There's beautiful people in yeah. this world that can happen. And this will never happen to you and in your life. And that's the thing. <laughs> the magic of so many Linkletter mm-hmm. films is the dialogue. And I think for so many of us that want to be in a relationship with a man or a woman that are these super communicators. Yeah. Yeah. Those two those two actors do such a good job of being like this would be what we dream of, right? This perfectly pitched, perfectly said, perfectly timed, you know, meaningful, you know, way of speaking that you're just like, "Oh my god, I'm with a guy that farts in bed." <laughs> right? Like you're just kind of like, "Oh man." Oh, we would man. never meet in Paris. And this I would mean, never happen. <laughs> We would never meet in Paris. You get to Paris and be like, how come there aren't any McDonald's here? You'd be like, oh, God, this is a mess. Yeah, they really do. There's such an element of fantasy mm-hmm. in, the, in the romance that's created there. Yeah. What a good fit for that category. Yeah. Can we just say, like, we've been kind of teasing it throughout this whole thing, but, you know, we're hard on these films. These films are destroying us, but we love I know. These I would films. watch any of these movies right we now. Love- like, it would be so good. I know. <laughs> Yeah, we love these films. Amazing how we we just pick apart these films, but yeah, we're like, yeah, but we secretly we love them. Thank you for making them. Weirdly enough, like I actually, I like I do like Ethan Hawke, but these those are the only films like I love. Ethan Hawke in those movies, like he's like the perfect yeah. person to be in them. Yeah. But I would like to know people that are listening to this, the movies that they connect with the most. And so, if you want to go over to our website, somebodydatejenandkyle.com which is Jen with two N's. So yeah, tell us your favorite films, what films we missed, what are your favorite films that fit in any of those three categories that we talked about here today. The other big thing that we want to mention here too, this is for some interaction. Very big thing. Very big thing. So because we love the movies, we want to share the movies with you, our listening audience. So we will be going this coming Saturday. I guess that would be tomorrow when this airs. So (laughs) tomorrow, Saturday, January 29th am i correct on that jen yes we are going to go to the landmark cinemas up in country hills this will make so much more sense if you are from calgary <laughs> and at the 6 25 showing we are going to be watching the movie redeeming love yes so redeeming if you love if you'd like to enjoy some of our podcast musings live please join us buy yourself a ticket it'll be pretty easy to figure out where we're sitting because we're the only people that Look like we could be a couple, but we're so clearly are not. And if you'd also just maybe like to murder us, we've made it very clear where we will be at very that date open. and time. And if someone we know is murdered, this is, of course, the perfect alibi. What a weird way <laughs> to end this episode. See you at the movies. Just to whet your appetite, I'm just going to read the IMDb plot description. Sold into prostitution as a child, Angel knows nothing but betrayal. Can her heart ever be mended? Based upon the novel by Francine Rivers. Ugh, can't we relate? Been there.
100 percent. all right see you at the movies kyle yeah see us at the movies if you want to be socially distanced and watch as uh tom lewis and abigail cowan get uh their freak on <laughs> fall in love with each other then uh, that's what we're gonna be doing tomorrow come on by Buy yourself a ticket. Bring a friend. Come alone. We, we don't care. We're going to be distance six feet away anyways. Exactly. Come and say, hi, I listened to your podcast and come say hi. We'd love to see you. Cool. And on that note, we'll say good evening. So for all of you on this Friday night that are listening to this podcast or whenever really you listen to this podcast, thanks for your support and good luck out there. Find a buddy, get to the movies, fall in love, and we'll see you next week. Be safe out there. Bye. Bye.